0: Alrighty, so if you have a Bible, if you want to turn to Proverbs chapter 1, Proverbs chapter 1, I'm going to, I believe I'm going to start a series in Proverbs. It's, <laughs> we're not going to go through every proverb or it'd be longer than James times 5, wouldn't it? Or Mark, I meant, I'm sorry. No, we're not going to do that, but uh, we are going to look at some things here, uh, beginning in verse, or chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. So we're looking at Proverbs 1.1, 1, 1. we're going to read through the first seven verses tonight. And the title of the message of it's a matter of life or death. So beginning in verse one, Proverbs one, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion a wise man will hear and increase learning and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel to understand a proverb and an enigma the words of the wise and their riddles says the fear of the lord verse 7 is the beginning of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and instruction so you know the bible it clearly teaches that we are on a journey aren't we life is a journey You know, This is a few years back. We laugh about it now. My family had this guy over to give me an estimate on putting a heating system in my upstairs. And uh, just out of the blue, he's walking away and he turns to me and he says, brother, it's all in the journey. And I knew what he meant by that. He's like, you know, life's a journey and just enjoy whatever comes your way. So that kind of we laughed about that and we were getting ready to leave either that night or whenever for our trip. And so we kind of became our motto. Well, we had a journey on that vacation because we end up uh, I bought a GPS. I never had one before. Next thing you know, that thing had me in the heart of New York City and I wasn't going to New York City at two in the morning. All I wanted was a hotel room and getting some sleep. And here I am in a traffic jam going through the Holland Tunnel at two in the morning. So we laughed about that. Life is but a journey. And then we went through food poisoning at this restaurant. And earlier that night, you know, we end up in the homosexual capital of the USA, which was out at the very point of Cape Cod. We had no idea to make this right turn to go to a restaurant. And I'm like, I've never seen anything like this in my life. Thomas had his head between his knees the whole time. My girls thought everybody that was two guys walking together were homosexual from there on out. But anyways, we laughed about all that. It's, it's all in the journey. And that was quite a journey. But the Bible takes our little journey, the journey we're on, a little more serious than that, as we'll see tonight. So, you know, the New Testament word for journey is a Greek word, hodas. Hodas, And it can mean the road that you're traveling on. It's often translated the way. For instance, John the Baptist said, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So it's talking about the actual road or the paths, even though it's spiritually speaking there. So it can be the path you're on or it can mean the actual action of traveling, the way, the trip, the journey that you're on. So Jesus, when he sent out the 12, he says, take nothing for your journey, your trip. But it can also be translated to mean your course of behavior which is what we're looking at tonight, your way of life. And it's represented as the way of life that you're on. So the, the Bible, the New Testament, Jesus speaks of two roads. There are only two roads, two paths, or two ways. Two ways, two hodas. Matthew seven thirteen to 14, it says, enter by the narrow gate, Jesus says, near the end of the Sermon on a Mount. For wide is the gate, and broad is the hodas, the way. Broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way, the hodas, which leads to life, and there are few who find it. So we know that we've heard that before, haven't we? The broad way, many are on it. Most of the world is treading that path. And the only other path is the way that's described as a narrow, hard, difficult path. And that word means it's compressed or restricted. And so that same word that is talking about the narrow way, the difficult way, is elsewhere translated in the New Testament as affliction, distress, or Trouble. Exact same word. Now, I'm just giving you the facts. But he's saying if you're on that narrow way, didn't it say it is through much tribulation? Paul said that. I didn't write that, that we enter the kingdom of God. That's just the way it is. Well, what Jesus said that is going on when we're on those paths or on those two different ways, he tells us that character is being developed by those that are on those paths. So the ones on the broad way, He says, Daryl talked about it in his sermon on choices. Those that are on the Broadway are the ones that they hear his sayings, but what do they do? They choose. They make a choice not to do them. Hear Hear his words, choose not to do them, and what does he say? What kind of character do those people have? He says they're foolish. Foolish. Everyone, he says, who hears these sayings of mine, Jesus says, and does not do them, Will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rains descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall so you 're not only on a way that 's leading somewhere, but your character 's being developed as you 're on there, either wise or foolish that 's what 's happening and by contrast. He's saying those that choose the difficult, hard, narrow way, the way of trouble, distress, and affliction, those who choose that, and it's a choice we make. Jesus said they're also developing character. There's few that want to get on that road, is what he's saying. But what's the character they're developing? He says they are wise. They're becoming wise. Whoever hears these sayings of mine, he says, and does them, I'll liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house. That's the trouble they're talking about. All the trouble, the distress, the affliction, it comes. But that wise person, and that happens because they're obeying his words, right? But it says, what's the result of that? It did not fall. Why? For it was founded on a rock, hearing and doing the sayings of Jesus. That's what it is. So the wise man, the wise woman, the wise young person is that person that's able to hear what Jesus or God says and put it into practice. Because we are people of the ear, aren't we? We hear what God says. We don't experience God. Has anyone in here experienced God by seeing Him? We don't see Him, do we? We have to have spiritual ears to experience the Lord, don't we? Hearing the Word of God. We hear His Word and then we obey His voice, don't we? Because any voice we hear that isn't Scripture, it needs to line up with the Bible or that's the wrong voice, isn't it? Don't need to be following that one. That's dangerous. And so Jesus says, the wise man... The one whose house will stand in the midst of storms above all else. The wise man, he needs to get wisdom from God to be able to stand, I would say, in these last days. And we're looking at Proverbs. I just believe the Lord's put this on my heart. I had started messing with this a while back and just had to put it on the shelf. It didn't seem like the right time. But Proverbs, we're talking about we need wisdom. We want to be wise people. It is the book of all books about wisdom, to give wisdom. There is no other book written ever that compares to Proverbs, right? As the French would say, it is the book par excellence of wisdom. (laughs) And it's very practical, it is. So as men smarter than me have said, the law and the prophets, they tend to speak in broad terms, so to speak. They don't always teach us how to apply the details. But Proverbs is the voice of God in the form, it's presented in the form of a wise, caring Father, speaking to a young son on how to apply the principles of the law. For example, to explain what I'm saying, the law says in Leviticus, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That's yeah, a principle, isn't it? A prover- Proverbs gives us the wisdom in applying that law. So, for instance, Proverbs 27, 14 says, he who blesses his friend with a loud voice rising early in the morning, it will be counted a curse to him. Now, you're not going to find that in Leviticus or Isaiah, are you? You're not going to find it. You find that in Proverbs because that's the wisdom of God and how to apply love thy neighbor as thyself, right? So, you know, what he's telling us there is the wisdom of God. Somebody's had a rough night and they're in a trial. That is not the time. That is not love to go in there and grab him by the arm and start asking him to dance and sing. This is the day at the top of your lungs. No, I think a nice, quiet God is faithful will go a lot further. That's what he's telling you there. Don't rise up early and get on somebody's nerves that just had a rough night. So that's the thing. (laughs) We need to see that we can have the best of intentions on following the Lord, serving the Lord. But we can still make a mess of our lives, our families, our church if we don't have the wisdom of God. And that's what Proverbs gives us is that kind of wisdom. Very practical. Who should I marry? What should I do with gossip? What about being lazy? How should I spend my money? How can I have friends? We're on this journey, this spiritual journey of life, and we need help, and God has given us Proverbs to coach us. So 1 Corinthians one thirty says that he has given us, our, in our union with Christ, we've been given Jesus, and what's the first thing it says in having him that we have? Wisdom in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, his spirit, 1 Peter 1, it says the spirits of, of Christ were in the prophets giving them what to say. That's the Old Testament. It's the same that's true for all inspired scripture, Old or New Testament. It's the spirit of Christ. And so he inspired what's written here in Proverbs and him indwelling in us but through our union with him. He is the one that will give us understanding as we study the book and live it, seek to live it. Because Proverbs is not just fortune cookie advice. Honestly, before I ever became a Christian uh, and I had a Bible, I would read Proverbs just because I thought, man, this book, this seems wise and it'll help me cope with life. Well, you know, it didn't help me much because I didn't meet the number one requirement that we're going to see here in just a little bit. And that is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So most of Proverbs didn't do me a bit of good because it's written to the redeemed. It's not cookie fortune cookie advice it's inspired wisdom for the saints of god to make it to the end and that's why i titled this message it's a matter of life and death proverbs thirteen fourteen says the law or the instruction of the wise is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death he's saying the wisdom in this book is a fountain of life it will turn you away from the snares of death you don't want, to, we don't want to take Proverbs seriously or just make it a book we look at? He's saying that is what will turn you from the snares of death. So there's two kinds of wisdom, isn't there? Isn't that what the Bible tells us? And each one has a voice and each one is calling for us to put our trust in them. James tells us that there's two sources of wisdom, doesn't he? He says there's a wisdom that is from above. And he says there's another wisdom, the wisdom of this world. And he said, no, it doesn't come from above. It comes from beneath. And he says it's earthly, this other wisdom, sensual and devilish or demonic, inspired by the devil. Causes a lot of problems. And that's the wisdom Peter used when he tried to talk Jesus out of going to the cross. And we're hearing these voices now. Oh, you don't need to go the narrow way. You don't need to go on that narrow path to the cross. Take the broad way. Why suffer? Why suffer? I'm hearing a lot of that anymore. Why suffer? And Jesus told Peter when he said that in trying to get him away from the cross in a narrow path, he says, that wisdom, Peter, that you have, it sounds good, and everybody would applaud that, but he said, that is from beneath. Get thee behind me, Satan. Isn't that what he told him? Isn't that what he was doing? So I'd say any wisdom you're hearing that's going to take you from the cross, is that from the Lord? I'd be carefully weighing it out myself. So there's two kinds of wisdom that are personified in Proverbs 9. I'm saying there's two voices speaking, and that's what you have in Proverbs 9. If you would turn there, turn over to Proverbs 9, and look what it says. Proverbs chapter 9. And what we have here is elegant lady wisdom and the seductive woman of folly. They're both here. And I'm not going to tear this whole chapter apart it's a teaching in and of itself but i do want to look here i'm saying there are two wisdoms and both of them are trying to get our attention And so what we have here, Lady Wisdom, what we have in Proverbs 9, you can read this on your own, but Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly, they are both sitting, there's a path going through the street they're on, and they're both sitting on either side of the road calling out. So look what it says. Here's the house of Lady Wisdom in verse 1 of Proverbs 9. He says, Wisdom has built her house. She has a house. And then look down in verses 3 to 4. And she sent out her maidens, and it says, and she cries out from the highest, places of the city. Whosoever is simple, let him turn here. So she's calling. Lady Wisdom, she's calling out, come in here, the simple, the naive, the person that doesn't know right from wrong yet. But you have the same thing going on with the way woman of folly. And look at that in verse 14. Look what it says. Proverbs 9 over in verse 14. It says there's a foolish woman, verse 13, and verse 14 says she sits at the door of her house. They're both in their houses on a seat Also by the highest places of the city to call to those who pass by who go straight on their way. She says the exact same thing as what was in verse four. Whosoever is simple, let him turn in here. As for him who lacks understanding, she's saying, I'll give you some. That's the seduction of her of lady folly. And they both make invitations and they both make promises. Look in verse 5. Here's what Lady Wisdom says. Come eat of my bread, drink of my wine I have mixed. I think that's speaking of the cross and the benefits of it. She's making a promise and an invitation. And look over in 17, verse 17. But here's the seductive woman of folly, Queen Folly. She says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. And she's promoting what? What is she seducing with? The pleasures of sin done in secret. She's also got bread, but it's not the best kind. It's not what you want to eat because the results of both of these dependent on who this simple person, young person walking down this path, whose house they choose to go into, which voice they choose to listen to, how they choose to be influenced. Are they going to be seduced or are they going to listen to lady wisdom, elegant lady wisdom? Because Look at the results. Look in verse 6. Lady Wisdom says, forsake foolishness. Repent. And she says, what will happen? You'll live and go in the way of understanding. You'll be blessed. Oh, but the other one, look what happens there. Verse 18. He does not know. This is the result of following her. He does not know that the dead are there in her house and that her guest are in the depths of hell. That's what Proverbs is painting. It contrasts wisdom and folly all throughout the book. And we have to make choices. Don't we? That's what it's telling us right there. But listen, the first nine chapters, if you go back to chapter one, the first nine chapters of Proverbs are strictly, entirely introductory. So the Proverbs themselves, in case you didn't know that, they really don't start until chapter 10 chapter 10 is when all the proverbs really kick in gear so the first nine chapters are just designed to prepare us to receive the wisdom that is laid out in chapters 10 through 31 but look this isn't a how-to book how to be happy how to get this is not a how-to book this book of proverbs is a character building book remember we said that path you're on is building character you're either going to be wise or foolish and proverbs a character building book and when you have the right character, guess what comes out of the right character? The right conduct. Right? Guided by the Holy Spirit. So chapters one to nine are designed to shape your character. You need character first, then it's going to instruct you on here's the conduct that'll come out of that. All all led by the Holy Spirit. And so getting back to these first seven verses that we're looking at tonight. This is kind of a preamble to the introduction, but what we have in verse 1 is the title and the author, and verses 2 to 6 tell us what the purpose of Proverbs is, what the purpose of the entire book is. You know, when I get books in school, I used to hate reading introductions. I'm like, just get me to the meat of the book. And then I started realizing, because people would tell me, no, you should read the introduction. It'll really get you off. It'll tell you what this book's all about. You'll have a better understanding. And I started reading introductions and appreciating them. And I'm saying that's why we're going to look at the introduction here, verses 2 to 6. In Proverbs, we'll see what it's all about, what he's trying to do, what his purpose is in writing all this. And in verse 7 right there, we have what is the motto or the theme of the entire book of Proverbs. So look in, chat, in verse 1, Proverbs one one. It says, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. So Solomon didn't write the entire book of Proverbs. Do you all know that? He didn't write. He wrote... The first 24 chapters, chapters 25 to 29, it says they're attributed to Solomon, but it said Hezekiah's men copied them down and put them in here. Chapter 30 comes from Agar, however you would say that. Chapter 31 is King Lemuel. So what we're told in 1 Kings 4 is Solomon uttered 3,000 proverbs, and we don't have all 3,000 of them here. We have only the ones the Holy Spirit wants in here. We have about a third of those. So we don't have 3,000 Proverbs here. And what it says is the wisdom of God is communicated to us through Proverbs. And what is a Proverb? What is a Proverb? A definition, it's a short saying, a practical truth that is easy to remember. So they're short and they're precise. So it's kind of like our sayings that we'll use, you know, a penny saved is a penny earned or a stitch in time saves nine. Right. Common sense sayings. But here's the thing. Proverbs is not just common sense sayings like that. It's not poor Richard's almanac, old Benjamin Franklin and all of his worldly wisdom. Right. It's a lot more than that, because a biblical proverb, the word for proverb comes from a Hebrew word that means to represent or to be like so it's looking at life we're looking at life in proverbs from a biblical worldview so it tells us the true meaning not the world not the spin that the world puts on through their movies that this is what love and sex should be like no we're seeing in proverbs we're seeing the true reality of how god views everything right from sex to money to power to speech. And we gain this understanding not because we're street smart, right? That's not what this is is all about. But verse 7, we gain this knowledge because of what verse 7 is, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So true knowledge, a true understanding of reality comes not from Facebook or from TV or from the radio or the news, but from fearing God and seeing things from His viewpoint, that's what proverbs is all about so we learn about reality from proverbs and then we can live a life based on that that will be blessed so the world says live and learn and god says through proverbs learn and live just the opposite of that doesn't he so listen the Wright brothers to help maybe explain this a little bit they knew Before they flew their plane, they knew before they got on that plane and flew it, they knew it would fly. How did they know that? How did they know that? Because they built wind tunnels, didn't they? They built all kinds of wings and they basically created a virtual reality to fly that airplane before they ever ventured to get on there and risk their life in flying it themselves, right? Virtual reality, and Proverbs is our virtual reality wind tunnel given to us by God so that we can test real-life situations in advance by the wisdom of Proverbs. So when you read Proverbs and you say this is what life's all about and this is how you deal with it, like the Wright brothers, we know what will fly and what will crash. For instance, Proverbs 15.1 says this, A soft answer Turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. Now Proverbs is challenging us, then you put that on and fly it and see if it doesn't work. Because it will, won't it? I mean, I guarantee if I started taking testimonies of people, now the world, does the world say a soft answer turns away wrath? The world says if somebody gets in your face, you better get right back in theirs. Right? And that's not what Proverbs says. That's not God's wisdom. How many times you got somebody getting ready to blow up in your face, and you say something nice? Oh, I'm so sorry about that, and they calm right down, don't they? What does it say? A harsh word? "Mm, That doesn't work real well, does it? That just usually makes the situation worse. So we're saying it's showing its reality. It's a virtual reality, and you just put that into practice and see if it doesn't fly. all Right? That's what we're getting out of here. So then, beginning in verse two, we're told the purpose of the entire book. Verse 2, it says this, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding. So it carefully says to know wisdom. It doesn't say, and I think one translation, I don't have it, the RSV, I think it says to know about wisdom. That's not what he's saying here. Because to know wisdom and to know about wisdom, there is a big difference. And here's the reason. You only know something when, when you experience it, right? Then you really know it. So my little boy, John, we I bought him this drone to fly. It doesn't have a camera. It's not going to be flying over your house, looking in your bedroom window. He flies in, in the basement. Now Listen, I have read the owner's manual to that drone, and I know what the controls do. I know about how to fly that thing. But when I try to bring that thing up, it hits straight in the wall, and that's the end of it. Right. I know about how to fly it. I can't I don't have the experience or the wisdom or the skill to fly that thing. But John, he knows He doesn't just know about how to fly it. He knows how to fly it. He's got the wisdom. And I mean, he flies that thing. I don't know how he figured it out. I really don't. Just all of a sudden, bam, he's got that thing figured out. He's flying it at my face and back away from me. And I'm like, whoa. So that's what we're talking about here. The purpose of Solomon and Proverbs is not that we can just know wisdom by studying the book of Proverbs. But we need to practice it, experience it, put it into practice. And when that happens, what happens to that wisdom It becomes internalized, doesn't it? That's what he's talking about here, that we can know wisdom. It becomes part of us through experience. And so what is this wisdom? I've kind of already said it's skill, it's expertise, it's competence that understands how life really works and how to achieve, because of that, successful and you could say beautiful results as a result. So it's the word that's used in Exodus 35, of the skilled artisan that was going to work on the tabernacle under Moses. Exodus 35, 31 says, The Lord has called Bezalel, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, that skill in knowing what to do, and understanding in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship, So the wisdom you're going to get from Proverbs is the skill on how to craft your life and how to navigate it by the Holy Spirit, because because he gives us understanding in how life really works, how it really works. And so when you hear that, you think, well, who wouldn't want that kind of wisdom? Why why isn't the world flocking? Because here we're saying, this is God saying, this is how life really works. And I'll tell you how to navigate. Why isn't the world flocking to find out about that? to become Christians, read their Bibles, and whatever all else. It's because of the second word here. It says to know wisdom and instruction. That word instruction means discipline. So guess what, people? We are not born wise. We need correction and discipline, and none of us likes to be corrected, do we? We don't like to be corrected by our parents if we're young people. We don't like to be corrected by other people in the church. We don't like to be corrected by our spouses. We don't like to be corrected by anybody. And we don't especially like to be corrected even by God. We're proud by nature, aren't we? We are. That's why people aren't flocking to get the wisdom of God and to understand Proverbs and to get on that narrow way because it requires discipline. And so that's why we have verse 3 where he says we need to receive the instruction of wisdom, which will enable us to do justice, judgment, and equity. We need humility, don't we? And that's how we have to start. So the purpose of Proverbs is to teach us how to receive the instruction or discipline of wisdom, or as it says in the New Testament, to, to receive with meekness The implanted word which is able to save your souls. And so he's telling us there in verse three when we do that, when we'll receive meekly the instruction of wisdom, he's saying then we'll know how to do justice. We'll know how to do, through Proverbs, through understanding the wisdom of Proverbs, we'll know how to do what is right in every situation we'll know what judgment is we'll know how to be fair in our decisions and our dealings with others and the last thing there this is an important word for us here in america this day he says we'll know equity now that word equity is a word that means how to stay within god's boundaries that exact same word was used, if you remember, when the ark was taken into the Philistines and they sent it back and they put the oxen, that cart had those oxen pulling the cart. And it's saying those oxen stayed within the boundaries of the road they were on. That's that same word, equity. How to live within God's boundaries, not to stray from God's ways. Now there's a man, his name's Bruce, Bruce Walke. He has lived and studied and eaten and breathed the book of Proverbs, I think now probably for over 30, 40 years. He's an expert on the book, and he's a godly man. And he said this, he says, the problem with modern America, and talking about this word equity, these boundaries that God has set, is he said, and this is creeping into our church, all churches, all of America, it doesn't stay outside the door. He said the problem is we want freedom with no boundaries. We want liberty without law. We want lovemaking with no marriage. And he says that will only lead to anarchy. And that's what we have going on in this country right now. And that's what we have going on in churches. Anarchy. Every man doing that which is right in his own eyes. And that he said, he went on to say we need to have form. We need to have boundaries. That's what Proverbs is going to give us. And that is where true freedom is found. I've used that illustration before. A train off the tracks, when it's not on the boundaries of the tracks, it is not free at all, is it? It's only free when it operates on the boundaries that it's designed to run on. And that's what Proverbs is saying here. He says, you'll receive the instruction of wisdom. And as a result, you'll know what justice, judgment, and these boundaries that God wants us to run on. And that is what will make us truly free and happy, which is what everybody says they want. But America is upside down in their thinking. And so we move on to verse 4. And it says another purpose of Proverbs is to give prudence to the simple. Now, prudence, you think of that word, who wants to be a prude? Nobody wants to be a prude. But actually, the word doesn't mean prude, it means shrewd or cunning. It's the word used of the serpent in Genesis 3 1. The serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field. But the cunning and the shrewdness that Solomon's speaking of here is a good kind of cunning. It's the kind that is going to keep you, the shrewdness and cunning, it's going to keep you from getting sucked in. To the smooth tongue sinner or the suggestions that the devil is putting in your mind. Either way it goes because he says it'll give prudence or cunning to the simple. And that word for simple there means the gullible or the naive. It's a Hebrew word, petit, which means to be open and not in a good sense. It means you are uncommitted. You can be easily persuaded. That is a simple person. And that is who, that's what the man, the young man, he's walking down that path in Proverbs 9 where he's got lady wisdom and lady folly calling him. He is called simple, can be persuaded, hasn't yet decided, hasn't yet committed. And they're saying here that Proverbs will give prudence, cunning, shrewdness to The simple, the uncommitted. And once again, when we look at America, America as a society, we're told to be open to everything, aren't we? Don't be committed to anything. Open to everything, committed to nothing. And the ones that are committed are labeled as bigots, legalist, intolerant, right? Narrow mind, whatever you want to say. That is, that's the way it is in our society right now. So these simple people that he's talking about here in verse 4 to give prudence to the simple, who are they? He says right there, to the young man. They're the naive, the young, the people that have no experience in life. The youth, that's what it's talking about there in verse 4. And that is who Proverbs is directly and primarily written to. So it's written to people coming out of puberty at that time, getting ready to be married those that need to be instructed in to what reality is from god's point of view he says when that happens it'll give young people young men or women two things and if i was a young man or woman wanting to follow the lord i'd be listening up right now because what do the youth need to know more than anything else and that is there is a direct link this knowledge it talks about verse four, to give to the young man knowledge and discretion. That knowledge it talks about there is that there is a direct link between actions and consequences. That's what you're going to read all the time in Proverbs. You let yourself get seduced and you walk in there and you let her, her eyes and her lips bring you in and you're headed into death. You need to see what looks so enticing. Oh, that's, that's not going to lead you where she's acting like she's leading you. It's leading you to death. So it's telling a young person, you need to see before you get caught up into these things that those actions and decisions and choices are going to have consequences. Disaster would follow because here's the thing. This world, Proverbs tells us, is created by God and he has put an order that needs to be followed. And if you don't, there will be disaster whether it's in sex or finances or relationships so it shows us this is the order this is how god has made things if you follow his order you'll fit in his order and you're you're going to get persecuted by the world but you'll fit in his order and you'll be blessed that's what will happen and the second thing it'll give knowledge but it'll also give discretion and that discretion means to be able to see through the temptations that come our way every day and how do they come Well, one of the ways is advertising. I was telling my wife, I was reading this article the other day and this guy was making a comment or making a point that it used to be, and this was the case back in the 60s and the 70s. If you watch TV, advertising was based on product performance, on facts. You would have men in white coats. Because white coats tell you that they are technicians. They're going to show you, hey, we've tested this, we've proved this product. You buy this, and it's going to be better than that one because it's tested, proven, and you're going to get your money's worth. How many commercials have you seen lately with a guy in a white coat? What is it now? Because you know how people used to think? And this is the way my dad was a businessman, raised me. You think about facts. You don't make decisions based on emotions. That'll get you in trouble, won't it? And that's what discretion here is all about. Because today, advertising, (laughs) this guy brought this up. He's like, this guy, they bring him on TV, and he is Mr. Cool. He's a world traveler, has a way with women, cool with women, super smart. And he drinks this beer. And so you should, too. Now, the whole thing is missing. What's missing from all of that? It's all emotion is they didn't tell you a thing about that beer. It could taste like dirty rainwater for all you know. It's probably overpriced. Doesn't tell you a thing about the quality of the beer, does it? It's all based on emotion. And that's the way TV shows are now. That's the way this country is being governed. That's the way it. And like I said, none of this stuff stays outside the church, does it? It doesn't. And it's creeping more and more and more into mainstream christianity and then we end up sucking up what they're giving us right and it's not a good thing and everything's becoming emotion based and so what happens is so listen listen carefully to what i'm saying there's nothing wrong i preach all the time on the love the grace the mercy of god don't i so i'm not opposed to that but what it's ended up happening now is it's all lopsided that way. And I see it happen here. Then, when you bring up about the fear of God, the judgment of God, hell, holiness, crucified life, people are shutting you down. They don't want to hear that. So, we don't have the balance anymore. And that's the problem. And we need to see hey, this isn't based on emotion and what I like, is it? Our Christian, I mean, I just got through last night teaching what I taught here out of Mark 9. Where Jesus says, you want to make it in, here's how serious it is. You need to cut it off. Cut off your hand, your foot, your eye. You need to pluck out whatever is going to keep you from the kingdom of God because he goes on three times to describe how terrible hell is. That's the God of love, isn't it? And I was telling him, Greg was sitting there, what he's doing is Jesus is throwing, you know, they had that fog in England and people couldn't see in front of them, and they're running full speed into the cars behind him and people are dying and they're crunching cars because they can't see and the policemen, they had warning signs up and they're ignoring all the warning signs. And the police got so frustrated they were picking up the cones and throwing them at the cars to try to get them to stop. And like I said, Jesus by saying you need to cut off whatever is going to keep you out of the kingdom... It's better that you have only one hand, one foot, one eye, whatever it takes, whatever you think you're going to have to sacrifice. He said it is far better to enter into life with one hand, one eye, one foot than to perish in hell. Because like I told those guys, we only there's a lot of things you can do more than once. You go out and golf and your score's not too good. Guess what? You get up the next day, you can try it again, can't you? But there's one thing that we only get to do one time and that's die and once that's done you are set there's no second chances and that's why jesus is making such a big deal about it in mark chapter 9 and that's what we're talking about here it's a matter of life and death what the bible says and that's what proverbs is telling us the young men Young men, you need knowledge and discretion, the ability to see through what the world is presenting you through all this social media. But that's not just the youth, is it? That's all of us, isn't it? Because look, that's what he's telling us here. He's saying that he is writing to the youth primarily in verse four, but he doesn't stop there, does he, to give the youth knowledge and discretion. But he goes on to say, a wise man. So it's not just for the youth, but it's written to the wise of any age, To the wise man, and he says he will hear, he will listen. He will listen to what's in this book. And increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wide counsel or guidance. So it's written to the wise because... All of us in here, no matter what age we are, no matter how long we've been a Christian, we can never quit listening to wisdom and learning. And he's telling us here, a wise man will listen and never stop. He says, listen up here, because the day we stop listening, we will begin the slow, or I've seen it sometimes be the quick descent to spiritual ruin. So listen, this question was raised by Mr. Waltke. How did Solomon, have you ever wondered, I've wondered, I used to wonder this, how did Solomon, with all the wisdom he had, more than any man on earth, how did that man of all men end up a fool? How did he end up that way, like a fool? Because as one man, Mr. Walkie said, Solomon hung himself on his own gibbet, his own cross, so to speak, because he spoke a truth, in proverbs and he hung himself on it so to speak if you would look in proverbs 19 i'll show you what i'm talking about proverbs 19:27 look what it says here proverbs 19:27 he wrote this himself he said cease listening to instruction when you stop that my son speaking to his son what will happen you will stray When you quit listening to instruction, you will stray from the words of knowledge. And guess what Solomon did? He quit listening to the wisdom that God had given him. He wasn't listening anymore. He wasn't living it anymore. He was living on past victory. So he'd given wisdom to others. The Queen of Sheba had come. Like I have never heard. You can answer any question I have. I've never met a man like you. God has really blessed you. He'd given it to others. Yet, he personally, what happened to him? He went astray, didn't he? And he fell hard. Because this is what Mr. Walkie said. You're, and this is true. I thought this was a good quote. Your spiritual success tonight is no guarantee of your spiritual success tomorrow. And I don't know how to say this, but I'm saying that is happening right before our eyes. Because truths that were once held, embraced as life-giving truth, are now being questioned. They're being abandoned and called bondage. And my question would be, what changed? What changed? Did the word of God change with a lot of this stuff? I don't hear any scriptural reasons why we need to change. I hear a lot of opinions. I hear a lot of old denominational reasoning. Is that what we're back to? (laughs) So where is the discernment and the discretion today? Because let me say this. Who are the ones that come under the strong delusion in the end times that we're heading into? Who are the ones? What does it say in 2 Thessalonians 2? Who are the ones? Those who did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And why did they not receive the love of the truth? Because they decided that it was just too hard because he goes on to say they had pleasure in unrighteousness. Pleasure in unrighteousness. So if you would, turn over to 2 Timothy 3, 2 Timothy 3, I'd like to look at that. 2 Timothy 3, beginning in verse 12, 2 Timothy 3, 12, he says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will what? Thank you, I didn't say it. I didn't write it. I didn't say it But, he says, evil men and imposters, they'll do what? They'll grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. He says, but you, Paul writes, you must continue in the things which you have learned and have been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you've known the Holy Scriptures. There's your answer. Which are able, they are able to do what? Make you what? What are we talking about? wisdom comes from the scriptures they are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in christ jesus and he says all scripture including proverbs is given by inspiration is breathed out by god is profitable for teaching for reproof for correction for instruction in righteousness that the man or woman of god may be complete thoroughly equipped for every good work and so here's the thing, here's what we're talking about tonight, isn't it? The wise are not just going to hear the truth, but they're going to do it. Because if we are not doers of the word, when, when you do the word, like I said, what he's saying in Proverbs, it becomes internalized. You know wisdom. And once something becomes internalized, guess what's not going to easily happen? You're not going to easily get talked out of it, are you? You're not going to easily give it up once it's internalized because James 1 says what? Don't just be a hearer. I'm saying we've had teaching on faith. Brother Hamilton taught it coming out our nostrils. Like the manna that came in the wilderness. In the quail, we have it coming out our nostrils. But do we understand it? It's one thing to be hearing faith messages to the point you're bored with them and you can finish sentences. It's another thing to truly understand what faith is. And there's confusion now, not from a lack of teaching, but from a lack of understanding and being doers of the word. Jesus said the foolish person, they're hearing it, but they're not doing it. And then when the storms and the trials come, the house falls in great is the fall of it. But if you're hearing and doing, it becomes internalized. You become a wise person. The troubles come. The storms, they're going to come. But he says when they come for that person, guess what happens? Their house will what? And I'm saying that's what we need in these end times. (laughs) I'm pleading, all of us, including with myself. How do you think we're going to make it? What are we going to trust in when there's a mark or whatever, right? Right? We need to learn that trust in God is not a bad message and it's not bondage, is it? So it's through living and doing that understanding comes. And he goes on, we go back there to Proverbs 1, and this is what he says in Proverbs chapter 1. He says, a Wise man will hear an increase in learning and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. And that wise counsel there means guidance, guidance and proverbs is a book of guidance and so we're back to the youth it's a book of guidance for all of us that's what he's talking about there but in particularly for the youth for instance who to marry or who not to marry but i'm saying you tell me you show me i would love to know i'd love to know who is the youth who is the young person that will take the time to check out proverbs to answer their questions of life that they're facing who to marry how to govern my finances what does it mean to be lazy? What's going to be the end result? of Show me the youth that'll do that. But that's who the book's written to, of all things. People complain, oh, you don't ever address the youth. We're addressing the youth. We're addressing all of us tonight, aren't we? So that's what it says. That's what it's here for. In verse 6, he says in that, to understand a proverb, an enigma the words of the wise and their riddles, reading and studying Proverbs, putting it into practice, it'll increase our understanding and knowledge as God's children. And listen, that is not just a one-time event, is it? To read and understand Proverbs. It's something you just have to keep continually coming back to for wisdom. And as you listen and as you put it into practice, you will grow in your understanding and your knowledge and how to deal with life. Is that not true? I mean, the older saints should be able to amen that. You know, Billy Graham, for years in his life, I don't know exactly for how long, but he didn't just do this for a month or two, but he read one chapter of Proverbs every day. So there's 31 chapters. That would be the whole book of Proverbs every month. He did that for years. And that's probably why he never had an ethical scandal in his ministry and had a lot of wisdom and God was able to use him the way he did. Well, we come down here to verse 7, and what does it say? This is the theme or the motto of the entire book. The fear of the Lord, Ben prayed, this is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. And if you could distill down the entire book of Proverbs into one sentence, this is it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and this is the gate. The gate that all must pass through if they want to begin to understand this book. But more importantly to that than that, that is the gate that we all have to pass through if we want to have life. It all has to begin with the fear of the Lord. Well, that song everybody likes to sing, Amazing Grace, what does he say? Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. That opened my eyes to my danger. That's what caused me to flee from the wrath to come. Amen? The fear of the Lord. And in grace, my fear is relieved. That's the way it goes. (laughs) So when it says it's the beginning, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's in the sense of what comes first, what's at the head of the line, the first in time. But it also has the sense of what is first in importance it's the key to everything the fear of the lord you know if, i don't know i know some people started reading pilgrim's progress as we talked about it but at the beginning of pilgrim's progress christian is told the pilgrim christian is told by the evangelist that to escape the city of destruction he has to enter the path to the celestial city what does he have to do he has to go through the wicket not wicked wicket with a t wicket gate and as he's heading there, we're talking about people are trying to talk us off the narrow way. That's what you have in Pilgrim's Progress. He's heading towards that wicked gate. And Mr. Worldly Wiseman, he says, oh, no, I can tell you a better way. Not so many difficulties. Tell you an easier way to get there. And he fell for it. But he said, as he tried to climb up that hill, Mr. Worldly Wise Man told him that burden on his back just became heavier and flames start coming off the road and he realizes I made a big mistake. And the evangelist comes and meets him and he's like, what are you doing? Aren't you the guy I saw fleeing from the city of destruction? And He goes, you can be forgiven, but you need to get back on the path headed and you need to go to that wicked gate. Because that is the only gate that will lead to life. And that's what verse 7 is telling us here. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. It's the gate of knowledge, the gate that leads to life. And we have to go through that first, or we are back in the city of destruction. The fear of the Lord. That's the narrow gate, I believe, that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 7, 13. Enter by the narrow gate. And it's not a one-time experience, is it? All that gate, the fear of the Lord does, it puts you on a path of the fear of the Lord for the rest of your Christian life, right? Because otherwise, if you don't do that, if you don't do the fear of the Lord and that's not the gate you enter through, you're going to be the second half of that verse, the fool, not the wise person, but the fool that despises wisdom and instruction, holds God's word in contempt, because they refuse to be instructed or corrected any longer. And that can happen even to people that are professing Christians because all of a sudden they're too smart, too good, too busy to hear the word of the Lord. And they're no longer walking humbly before the Lord God Almighty because that's what this fear of the Lord involves. It's a deep humility, deep humility, understanding that God is God, as I've said before, God is God and I ain't him. You ain't him. Right? So it's not this craving fear, but it's a holy respect or fear for His glory, His majesty, His power, His holiness, and His love. I would put that in there too. That's all involved in the fear of the Lord. And this quote from C.S. Lewis I thought was good. He says, In God, speaking about Uh, Humility before God, the fear of the Lord. He says, in God, you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. And he says, unless you know God as that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, he says, you do not know God at all. As long as you are proud, he said, you cannot know God. I thought that was a good quote. Because here's the way modern man and modern American people, they want to start with us. And God, what can you do for me? What is your preaching? How are you going to meet my needs? And (laughs) that's the way our society reasons everything. All these issues that you see on the news, they're reasoning everything with their own thoughts. They never bring the Bible into the discussion, what's right or wrong. They have no respect for God. They don't view Him as anything, as nothing. But the Bible says we need to totally reverse that way of thinking and we better begin with God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom or we are in big trouble, right? That's what happens when you leave God and his word out of determining every aspect of your life and how you're going to live. Because then we become what? Our own judges, don't we? our own determiners of what's going to happen and what is right or wrong and how we're going to conduct ourselves we become our own judges and that is when anarchy takes place like you have in the book of judges in those days no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes and that's what we have in modern US of A well, let me just end on this i had some other things i don't want to run this too long but what's the difference let me just we're talking about the fear of the lord and i think we'll talk about this some more i'm definitely not exhausting the topic but what's the difference between being terrified of the lord and save in a saving or a healthy fear of god and i think you have a good case of that a good illustration of that in jonah chapter one so when jonah you know that huge storm on sea just all of a sudden erupts and when he tells the sailors on that ship that it, this is the result of the Lord who made the sea and the land, that he has sent that storm upon them. Their reaction there was, it says they were exceedingly fearful. In other words, they were terrified, weren't they? They had this terror of God. But once they threw Jonah in the sea and everything was calm and the sea ceased from raging, it says again they greatly feared the Lord, but this time it wasn't the same. It was more a sense of an awe and a respect, right? Because... It goes on to say they offered sacrifices and they made vows to him. So what happened was they acquired a true knowledge. It might have been a small amount of knowledge, but they acquired a true a knowledge of God through their experience. And that's what it talks about in Proverbs 2, 5, just a chapter over. It says that you will understand the fear of the Lord. And through that fear of the Lord, it says you will find a knowledge of God. So all through the Bible, we have where people have a fear of God. They're a proper fear of God. They have experienced his power and presence. And that brings in this awe and respect. That's what happens. And you have that from Moses at the burning bush to Gideon when he experienced, I believe, the pre-incarnate Christ to Daniel to the early church in Acts chapter five at the death of Ananias and Sapphira. Because what did they see there? They saw these people here thought they could pull something over on the church and on the Lord. And they said, no, you've messed with the spirit of God. You shouldn't have done that. Both of them dropped dead. And what does it say? A fear came on the church and everyone around, right? A holy respect, but not this terror, right? Because what else do we know happened? People are like, we need to respect this God but not to the point of they're so terrified of them they wouldn't have anything to do with them because it goes on to say multitudes were added to the church. It's just they weren't going to come unless they were serious about the Lord, right? And that's what we're talking about. That's, that's the true fear of the Lord that the Bible says. The, how important is this fear of the Lord? Let me just give you these real quick. It prolongs our life, Proverbs ten twenty seven: The fear of the Lord prolongs days, but the years of the wicked will be shortened you want to have faith it says in the fear of the lord there is strong confidence and his children will have a place of refuge and it says two other places it's an entrance we said to life proverbs fourteen twenty seven. the fear of the lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death and it also that fear of the lord knowing that you don't want to be chastised by him will cause you to depart from evil. In mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity. And by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. So the beginning of Proverbs, we just saw it, 1-7, it talks about the beginning is the fear of the Lord. And guess what? It ends on the fear of the Lord. And it's spoken of all through the entire book. Because Proverbs thirty one thirty talking about The virtuous woman, it says, charm is deceitful and beauty is passing. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. And there's a key right there on determining who you want to marry. You want to marry the best looking thing you can find or a woman that fears the Lord? Because it says beauty will pass away, woman. Someone that fears the Lord, it says she shall be praised. How important is the book of Proverbs and our ability to make wise choices? Proverbs 15, 24 says the path of life winds upward for the wise that he may turn away from hell below. As I said at the beginning, it's a matter of life and death. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you once again for the words you've given us. And I just ask, Lord, that you'll give us all a healthy fear of you and respect for you, Lord. And um, just thank you for these words of life that you've given us. I ask that for the young people here that they'll hear what you're saying tonight, Lord, that they'll choose life, that they'll choose lady wisdom and turn away from lady folly. And I just ask you'll cause all of us to do that, Lord, to hear the words that you speak and to have a heart to want to walk in your truth and to live it, that we not be deceived in these end times. And I just thank you that you'll do that for us here, for all who've heard your word tonight. And we pray that in Jesus name. Amen.